years ago, I began to learn about this concept of seed time and harvest because there's, there's a, a world economy that can change at any moment. And then there's heaven's economy, which if you're in Christ, you get to participate in. And that economy is not based upon the nation that you live in, upon your cultural economic status. It's based on what God already provided for you before you even came to earth. And this world system is built on taking care of yourself, making sure you have enough money for this and storing up and all that. And I'm not saying it's not good to save. You should save. But heaven has this system in place and um, the system is based on trust in God. And one of the ways you, you get to trust God is through your act of giving through worship. I was going to say, I, I began to learn this years ago. I say learn it, learn it, because I'm still learning it. Uh, Oral Roberts taught this concept, and he learned it like this, that when he was pastoring a church the elders in the church did not want to buy a parsonage for him and Evelyn. So Evelyn said, I'm out, Oral, and I'm going to the parents' house until you find a place. So he went to a meeting that night in the church, and he said, we need to buy a parsonage. And uh, he said, we're going to receive an offering tonight to, to, um, to be, to, so we can have some money to buy this parsonage or down payment or something. And he said, I'm going to start. I'm putting my whole week's salary in the offering. And he said, I, I, thought, it was, uh, I thought it was cold in Oklahoma that night until I got home and told Evelyn that I put the whole check in, the, in there. And he says about 4 a.m. in the morning, a farmer knocks on his door and he says to him, I was in the meeting tonight, and I should have gave. I've been messing around with the stock market, and I'm about to go under in every way. And I know that you need to plant seed to get a return. And he gave him, I think, I think his weekly uh, pay, I think was no, no more than $50. I don't remember the exact story. But the man handed him $400. He'd never seen a $100 bill in his whole life. And God taught him the principle of seed faith. And seed faith is not the, not the only manner, but it is the manner by which uh, as you give whatever it is to a ministry, and this, this is an offering tonight. Please don't take your tithe. Your tithe belongs to the local church. Uh, if, don't believe that lie that tithing is not for today. That's just propaganda. It is to steal God's best for you. Why well, just believe in freely giving? So good, give 10% to your church. <laughs> well, I just don't want to give people pressure. I'm not pressuring anyone. No one's pressured to give tonight. If you don't believe what I say, you don't have to give. No problem. But it's this act of faith where as we take what's in our hand as a seed, and tonight your seed could be money, but it could be other things. You take it in your hand, and it obviously it meets practical needs that a ministry has, but you give it to your high priest Jesus and you step into 
heaven's economy and you step into being like God because this is what God does. He constantly gives, and when he gives, he never lacks. It's not like if he gave covenant love $10 million on Sunday, he goes, Gabriel, now what are you willing to do? He's got all the wealth in the world. So here's some quick principles. As believers, you're never bound to this world system. He gives seed to the sower, not just to be a blessing to the person in front of you, but to resource your future. Here's the other thing. It doesn't matter what he tells you to give, but give what he tells you to give. Start where you're at. If you're like, I got 10 bucks in my account, and he tells you to give all of it, or 10, whatever it is, doesn't, the, the number doesn't matter. It's the act of faith. But do it in faith. And don't be double-minded. Like, I don't know much about farming, but I've never seen these guys, when they plant something, they plant it, and they go, is it working? Like the next day. And the most foolish thing you can do is try and dig up what you've sown and most people dig up what they've sown with this. This is also propaganda. I tried it and didn't work. You want to keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing. Keep... If you only sow when you can, then you're sowing according to your intellect, not according to the voice of God. But here's the exciting thing. There is a commanded blessing on the seed of the righteous. Because he said, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord thy God, all these blessings shall come upon you. So your seed helps to create your future. Uh, different ways to give. I think you have an envelope there. Uh, tonight, just because of what I feel like I want to get into, I'm going to, I can change too. We're actually going to pass buckets tonight. It's really stretching me tonight. But before you give, I do want to pray over your seat tonight. You can give by check for such time as this. You can give by the envelope there, responsible giving credit. You can, oh, you can text to give right there. You also can give on the website. And please, if you're giving by credit card, we love tongues. We really do. But we don't want to interpret what you wrote there. <laughs> Are you passing around yet? Hold on one second. Are you ready to give? All right, hold it up. Let's pray first. I'm telling you, because what have taken place in this room, the breakthrough for many of you financially is in your hand tonight. I'm telling you. There, there's someone in here you're believing to pay off your uh, home. And um, the word of the Lord is by the end of this year, that home is paid off. 
cars being paid off, college notes being paid. And there's a grace in this room right now to deliver many of you of the fear of finances. You know, it's not a fear that you don't have. It's a fear that you won't have one day. And so you're constantly in fear, and you know it's right to give, but you can't break that fear thing. So in the name of Jesus, I break that fear off of your life forever in Jesus' name. Father, we declare that as your people have given, as you've directed, we declare all these blessings shall come upon them and overtake them. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed the work of thy hand. And we declare an increase on this seed for sowing tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Joyfully give. Thank you very much for your giving tonight. Really appreciate it. Okay. Before we get into what I feel like God has for us tonight, I just want to introduce some people here. I think... Did Melissa step out of the room? Right where? Oh, all right, we'll, we'll finish with you. Just want to introduce uh, Michael Lombardo. Why don't you stand up? Michael. Michael will be ministering tomorrow. You'll get to know him more tonight. I mean, I'm introducing him tonight because these guys are going to help me pray for everyone tonight. We're going to pray for everything that moves in this room. <laughs> so, and then here's my brother from another mother, literally. I got a southern brother. Paul Metcalf, just an amazing prophet of the Lord. Why don't you welcome Paul? And then Melissa and Sean, why don't you guys stand? They're ordained ministers of the gospel. But Melissa heads up our intercession. And uh, so if you're sometimes curious of why somebody stands behind me when I pray for people, I like people to stand behind me when I pray. And if she does unusual things, just focus on the Lord. And if... And if it upsets you, just ask the Lord why it upsets you. <laughs> so you can be seated. All right. Why don't we stand for a minute and we will pray. Let's just lift our hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for what you want to do. Thank you for the angel of revelation that's here. Lord, I need your help. Without you, I can't do anything. But with you, everything's possible. Lord, open up your word to us tonight. Lord, let it be like those two disciples who walk with you on the road to Emmaus and their hearts burned because you revealed yourself from Genesis to the Gospels, Lord, that it was about you. Thank you for miracles taking place. There's somebody, you have a pain in your neck, the Lord is healing your neck, so be healed in your neck. Somebody's right knee, the Lord's healing somebody's right knee. Somebody, uh, three people in this room, you have trouble sleeping at night, the Lord Jesus delivers you tonight. I mean, it's there. It's not if it's going to happen. The Lord Jesus delivers you. 
someone you have a pain in your lower back. It's, it's actually been over 10 years, and the Lord Jesus heals you tonight in Jesus' name. I just see, like, from, let's just pause for a minute. Just from uh, my right, moving through the left, there's just like a fire being released through this whole room. So, Lord, just thank you for that fire. We receive your fire. You said you would baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. So we thank you for your fire here tonight. We thank you for those ministering spirits that are here tonight, those angels who hearken unto the voice of the Lord. We honor you here. May Jesus be glorified. And Lord, expose the lies of the enemy that cause your people to, to be in bondage in any way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You could be seated. There's a, there's a door opening for you of encounters never before that's going to lift you up into the heavenly places never before. And Jesus is actually standing right in front of you, and he's touching your ears to hear. And there's a release. That's why I saw it on this side. There's a release of his fire going down your right shoulder, down your arms, down your legs. And you're going to be, uh, you, you will actually physically from this day forward, know the fire of God in a way you have not. There's a great healing anointing on your life. You work here, right? In the staff? You have a creative expression on your life and you have a call to the nations on your life and the Lord is going to take one step at a time and he's just, you, you kind of can't see the whole thing it's like I'm seeing a little picture of your foundation being built. And the Lord says, let patience have its perfect work and enjoy the journey because the glory that's going to be released to you is going to be very great. And it's going to be way, way beyond what you could ask or think. My friend Tom, good to see you, man. Tom, the Lord is going to network you with intercessors as never before. Uh, particularly, there's coming real uh, revelation as you come into the election in this coming season. The Lord's going to give you insight in how to pray for this upcoming midterm election as never before. And the Lord wants you to know he's very, very pleased with you. And he's going to revisit a relationship from your past as never before. There was something that was uh, like out of alignment, but the Lord's going to put it back into alignment to launch you into your future. What's your name? Were you here last night? Yeah, I thought I saw you. There's a really strong prophetic gift on your life. And if you just step out, it's going to flow, flow, flow like a river. It's just one or two words now, but it's going to flow out like a river as never before. Okay. Supernatural life. 
Do you know that what we know about God is what he has chosen to reveal, him, reveal about himself in Scripture? Our trust can only rest in what he's chosen to reveal about himself. And our ability to trust God is supernatural. I don't know if you can recognize, it's very interesting to me that many evangelicals believe this, that the Bible is the word of God. And you had an eternally existing God, like he's been here forever, like beyond forever. And he speaks the universe into existence through his faith. He puts this man made in his image, perfect man. Adam needed no improvements, absolutely none. And this is what he does. He creates heaven and earth and decides to set up his kingdom in heaven. And he puts man and he goes, hey, you be my ambassador and here's good news. I'm giving you part of my personality. I'm going to make you my image. And I'm going to give you part of my mind and my heart. And guess what? You're going to live forever. You're going to multiply. And you don't have to take care of yourself. And he does this knowing that man is going to make a wrong choice. Don't ever think that God is disillusioned with you. He knows what he got when he, when he got you. And I was just like, I just really think that, you know, God's just really disillusioned. No, no, he knew what he got when he signed up. Yeah. It's when you made the mistake that you realize that was in you. He already knew it was there. And he's already got a solution for it. Who puts a man in the garden to tend and to keep it. He names the animals. Here comes a snake. The snake talks to the woman. Some people think, the animals talk to the, to, to, to the creation before everything fell apart. I think that's probably likely because there's no like parentheses, even in the Amplified that says, little strange, Eve talking to a snake. <laughs> but God honors his word and notice he doesn't jump in. He isn't like, hey, this is going to be really bad for you. And they make a mistake, destruction, sin enter the world, but God had a plan. I'm telling you, God has a sense of humor. Some of you should laugh a little more because he really does. Like he, I mean, he finds a guy way too old than his wife to have kids. She laughs. You're going to have a kid. And not only that, he goes like one step further. He goes, not only am I going to give you a kid, but look at all these stars. I'm going to give you descendants like that. And Abraham, anyway, so he picks Abraham, makes covenant with him. Notice the pattern. He's always looking for a man because it's the only way he can legally come into the earth. He's got to find someone to agree with him. raises up this nation called Israel, still God's chosen people, the apple of his eye. They don't fully fulfill what God intends, but all through that, even in the garden, 
See, I'm telling you, God's got a sense of humor. He's, he's, he says to the enemy in the garden, oh, you think you got this woman? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the perfect seed through a woman. God's never one upped. All through this, he's promising Messiah. All through this, he's promising a better covenant. And for the first time in human history, God lives inside of a woman. The perfect seed comes in, in, in a teenage child conceived of the Holy Spirit. Why? He needs a body. She gives birth to the Messiah, and Jesus Christ is born into the earth. He is a perfect child. He, he grows up. He never sins. Imagine being one of Jesus' siblings. That's Dr. Phil's couch like a long time. <laughs> What's your problem? My brother's perfect. <laughs> I get compared to my brother in everything that I do. Why can't you be like Jesus? You know? <laughs> well, you went to Harvard, but I'm not like Jesus. <laughs> he becomes an adult. And he doesn't go to any training school, and he doesn't even start in ministry right away. Jesus was not in love with full-time ministry. <laughs> he becomes a carpenter. His stuff was definitely not on sale. It's perfect. And then at 30 years old, we'll talk about it in a minute, but he finds men totally outside of the religious system. And he chooses them. And he announces, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John said the books of the world couldn't contain what he did. He taught like no other. He demonstrated like no other. One man. And when you see Jesus... You need to see what God intended for humanity. Jesus is the first man since the original Adam to display God's original intent. Jesus was sinless. God wanted Adam sinless. Jesus did everything his father told him to do. Adam was supposed to do everything his father told him to do. Jesus says in John 8, I'm learning from my father. Adam was supposed to learn from God himself. Why? Because he's fully God, fully man, but he chooses to live as a man. That's really important if you want to live that life because everything he did is available to you. And then the beauty of Jesus. He's got a will, but he goes, I only do what my father says. But then he also says, I know, but the devil didn't take his life. The, the devil's so confused, he thinks if I can kill this guy, I can stop this thing. He says, I willingly give up my life. In fact, when he's in front of Pilate, he goes, he goes don't you know I can take your life from you? He goes, nah. The only thing you got is the authority my father can give you. And I willingly give up my life. He dies on a cross. That's how nasty a religious spirit is. It will actually kill 
the only thing that can revive it. That's a nasty thing. But the devil loves to be a religious spirit because he can use scripture to keep people in bondage. He dies. Listen to me. He died. He didn't just Hollywood die. Because I think, no, no, you, you laugh, but sometimes we lose the meaning that he actually died. It wasn't like, hey, guys, I'm going to go in the tomb, but, uh, you know, he had to die. He dies so you can have life. Rose again. And then goes back to all these guys except John who totally forsook him. I mean, the confidence God has in people. God believes in people even their worst moment. He's like, hey, you guys were all in the Jesus Christ School of Ministry. You all failed the final exam. But guess what? I rose again so I can help you. Dies, and then he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Now go. He doesn't say get people born again. Go and make disciples of all nations. What's the point of me saying that? The whole, our whole belief system is based on that. You can't trust God unless you believe all of that. It's completely supernatural. It's completely by faith. My point in saying that is it amazes me that so many believers believe that, but then they don't believe that God's power still exists today, and they don't believe God's power wants to operate through them. Why believe the original thing and then not believe the whole thing? And here's supernatural definition of it. Pertaining to or being above or beyond what is natural or explainable by natural law. Pertaining or attributed to God or a deity. It's really interesting is that God creates natural laws, but then if you hear his voice and you have a word from him, you can actually overcome the laws of nature that he put into operation. He said, like, where do you think this whole thing comes from? Gravity? You know, unless you got a word from the Lord, you're not flying. If you got a word from the Lord, you can walk on water. Everything's possible. You were created to live without limits. You were, you were created to have complete trust in God. You were created to overcome all things. Every fabric of man was made to interact with God without limits to display his wisdom and glory for eternity. There's something that beats inside of all humanity that goes, I was supposed to be really awesome and live forever. Our mind, our will, our emotions, our bodies, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, were all created as tools to interact with God. I remember this is, I'm on this journey that I started uh, over 20 years ago. And it was, I remember, actually I read it, first day of this journey, John 14, 12. If you believe, you'll do the works that he's doing and greater works. And I made a decision, and it, it stuck with me. That's a good decision that stuck with me. I didn't want to live on earth 
without receiving everything that was possible in the book. And I want to suggest to you too, it's, it's, it's sometimes it can be challenging. And for whatever reason, even among the people of God, it's not the most popular thing. The world has reason to question a gospel when we do not represent properly. Here's an example. Let's say I'm a vacuum cleaner salesman. That's really funny because I, I don't appreciate selling things. <laughs> when I go to a store, I usually know what I want and I've done the research. Vacuum cleaner salesman, I have the greatest vacuum cleaner you have ever seen. It has, I mean, it'll, you got to take your kids out. It'll suck everything out of that room that ever exists. <laughs> and I come in, I said, I'm Abner, and I'm the, uh, this is, this vacuum tube is the greatest thing you'll ever see in your whole life. It's amazing. And then I, 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 I put all this dirt on the floor. I was like, this is amazing. It'll suck everything out. And then I don't demonstrate it, though. I'm telling you about a vacuum cleaner that I say is the best thing on the market, and I leave the dirt there, and I walk away from you. And you're like, first of all, I'd be pretty ticked off if you let my house dirty. <laughs> It's like in no like we know this with natural things. We know this if we've bought a vehicle. You know, we don't just go, oh yeah, just I trust you. You know, whatever you say in the advertisement, I'll just come pick it up. No, you test drive that thing. You inspect it, you look around. Why? You want experience in what it is. And when we don't present the gospel of the kingdom of God properly, the world has reason to question. And we're in deficit in this world right now, right now, because we have big gatherings, and we're really impressed, and like, oh, the church is growing, and there's a lot of good things. I'm not diminishing. This is actually one of the greatest times to be alive historically, but we got these the stuff. Yet, what is the fruit in the world around us? Can the world say it's better because you are at that job? You live in that city. Because there is unlimited power. There's God is not missing any power to us. It's just... Are we willing to position ourselves properly to access that power to bring transformation to the world around us? Here's some uh, things that I've learned about this journey. First of all, we are all disciples, regardless of, of calling and, 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 you know, five-fold ministry, you better be a disciple before you ever 
focus on that. And regardless of calling, regardless if you're called to the marketplace, regardless if you're called to Fayetteville State, regardless if you're called to start a business, all disciples need to be trained. Recognition of our need for training opens the door for proper training. Here's where the Weber meets the road. Because there has been a deficient gospel presented, especially in the Western world, people like the religious world we've created for them. We like, oh yeah, we'll say amen, we'll give two, a few things, and we'll get really, you know, like, I never wanted to do this, but I'll go on a mission trip if the Lord really wants me to. <laughs> when he said, follow me, he didn't say wait for nine confirmations. So when leadership creates deficient atmospheres, we inoculate people to the authentic gospel with a religious thing about God. And it doesn't mean people are born, aren't born again. It's just that we, we love, and, and nobody ever thinks this, but it's just the truth. We love our traditions about God more than the authentic gospel. And the reason why this is so important is the mandate is to disciple nations, not fill a room. Properly disciple people, disciple nations. Here's some core values that, that are really important to, to, to know on this journey. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are fully committed to the purposes of God being fulfilled in your life. They are 100% all in. They have made you righteous. They, honestly, they, the, the Trinity actually adores you. You're like, how do they adore me? I'm a pretty bad person. Well, he has made you. Your born-again spirit is the exact same replica of Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I mean, he's really genius level. He's beyond. I mean, I could just see this, what, what was going on here before this whole thing happened. Like, so like, what are we going to do because they're going to live in the, you know, they're going to be pretty messed up. Oh, I got it. Jesus is like, when I die, that life they have is going to die with me. That's right. We don't want to resurrect that thing. We'll give them a completely new nature. Right. And guess what? We'll give them your nature. And then we'll put them in this place of honor and favor with us. And we'll take care of that past problem through the blood of Jesus. And we'll also take care of the future because they'll be in our kingdom. And anyone in our kingdom is always taken care of. Here's another important point, though. Our personal choices determine our level of mastery. But here's the great thing. There are no graduates in this discipleship program. So this is how Jesus discipled. Luke, the fifth chapter. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. That's an important phrase in the gospels, the concept of the multitude. Because 
Again, I want to emphasize to you this point that the gospel writer tells us this because I believe he's trying to tell us this, this possibility that still exists today, that there were people around the ministry of Jesus. They might have been covenant partners. They might have, and they could tell you there was a culture around Jesus. They could tell you about his sermons. They could tell you about his miracles, but they were not followers of him. They were in an environment that knew what it was like to be around him, but they never followed him. And, they, and this is amazing to me. They were good with being Americans and just watching God do stuff. <laughs> and he stood out by the lake and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from there washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes. So it's one of the ways he, he did. Jesus taught. Listen to the word of God. Oh, just listen to it. There's, there's this great uh, Lauren Cunningham's book, the book that changed the world. It's about how the Bible has the ability to transform nations. It talks about this story. This village had never heard the word of God. And all they did was stand up and begin to publicly read the scripture. And the one villager testified, it was like waves came upon us. The life-giving power of the word. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into deep and let down your nets for a catch. This is Jesus' method of calling them. He meets a practical need. He could have just said, it, it, the, the, Jesus' focus is not on his intellect, it's on what he's currently facing. He needs a supernatural answer to his problem. Fish, fishermen, no fish. So what's he going to do? He's going to Meet the need of those fish so he can get them to the place where he can begin focus on his destiny. That is the human need right there, purpose. What's the purpose? Everyone's asking what the purpose is. You can meet the human condition if you know the human need. But Simon answered, said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. That's a picture of the world system. The world will make you look, trying to look within yourself of how you can meet your needs. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Notice Jesus said nets, he went with the net. Why? Because I understand it takes a really long time to clean these nets. And notice he's telling them to fish in the same place he'd been fishing all night. He is in the same, I, I said it tonight. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. It doesn't matter what environment. If you understand the principle of the kingdom, you will flourish wherever you are. Because it's inside out, not outside in. When he had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Notice, too, that they're fishing in the morning. Not the best time to fish. Notice, too, the humility of the fishermen. The fisherman is listening to a carpenter. I could imagine going, whatever, just throw a net. If you're going to follow him, you have to humbly 
respond to that word. Depart from me from a sinful man, O Lord. Oh, well, let me finish this. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Notice the guys who didn't get the word get blessed because their friend got blessed. Your blessing is for somebody else too. And when they came and filled both boats, they began to sink. Should have gotten the nets. He's really smart, I'm telling you. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Notice that Jesus never talked about his sin. He met his need. He, one word of knowledge switches systems and, and Peter recognizes this guy is a holy man. I should not be around him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now you will catch men. So when he brought their boats to land, they forsook all. That's fascinating to me. One word from Jesus changed their whole trajectory. It's, I mean, think about this. One word from Jesus changes their whole destiny. They're marching along in their life. Peter, most people think he's probably one of the only ones of the disciples, got a wife, okay, got to take care of the wife, got the fishing, going to pass it on to my son. He has no idea the place in history that God has for him. He has no idea the thing that he's in a counselor for. God is going to use that strong person, how you call it that, that personality, that boldness for the kingdom of God. But he gets a word from heaven. So when they brought the boats to them, they forsook all and followed him. Here's Jesus' method. Follow, there's, there's a pattern that Jesus displays to us in the Gospels. Jesus chooses 12 commoners outside the religious system to be trained to be like him. That, I, I think that's important because as disciples, it's often necessary to rethink ideas of God that we've come to accept of, as truth, but hinder us from entering into authentic discipleship in Jesus and his kingdom. So what does he do? He goes, you know, that, that system and those ideas are so entrenched in certain people, I got to go outside the system and get guys who will just listen to what I have to say. Here's the other thing. You don't need to be from Harvard to follow Jesus. And it bothers people with a lot of education. Jesus chooses 12 commoners outside the religious system to be trained to be like him. Here's the second part. Jesus calls the disciples to be trained within the context of community. Peter and Andrew are fishermen. James and John, they were also fishermen. James, the brother of John, was the first martyr. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Philip, Nathaniel, Matthew's a tax collector. Thomas, James. Uh, Peter is probably a political activist. That's the fascinating one. 
No, I'm serious. It was like a radical. He picked a political radical to be in his inner circle. Judas and then Judas Iscariot. What's my point in saying this? Because he brings all these unique, different worldviews together to walk together for the purpose of God. That is a statement to the world there. I'm sure they disagreed with each other politically. I'm sure they disagreed with each other on certain issues of the day. But he brings them together and he said, this is the way it's done. Together. Learning. You don't see any church split. I'm leaving the church, Jesus. Peter's a conservative Republican. I'm out. My whole family's been Democrat. <laughs> Why is he talking about money? I disagree. He preached a really long time today. Couldn't he do it? Like, he could have said that in like 30 minutes. <laughs> what does he do? He... He calls them to himself. What's the foundation of walking with the Lord? A calling to himself. The primary calling in life is to learn how to re-walk with him. To walk in fellowship with him. To understand his voice. To become a theologian of his beauty. There are things that are going to end on earth, but your adoration of him will never end. Lord Jesus, a lot of Americans are going to be very, very upset when they get to heaven. I'm just used to 30 minutes. No, no, it's 24-7 here, baby. Where's the video? The only thing you get to see is his face. All right. Send them to Bible school. Here's another big part about him welcoming them to himself. Jesus welcomed the disciples and accepted, the, and accepted them at the moment of invitation. Jesus accepted and welcomed his disciples at the moment of invitation. He knows these guys. I don't, I'm not suggesting he knew everything about them, but he knew they were flawed men. But at the moment they come in, he goes, you're welcomed and accepted. Welcome. And notice, too, he calls them into a family. I don't know. Remember that song from when I was a kid. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Some of you looking at me. <laughs> YouTube it. It's a good song. But he welcomes them and accepts them at the moment they come in. Here's who he accepts. He accepts Peter. Here's one example. Peter, in his discipleship process, 
did not trust in the storm. He was told he had little faith. He didn't understand the parables. Here's the best one. He rebuked Jesus. He fell asleep during prayer time. He denied that he knew Jesus to a young girl. He brought curses on himself. He got the wrong sermon when he said the kingdom of heaven suffered violence. So he tries to chop the guy's head off who comes to get Jesus. <laughs> and this is the one who God goes, come on in to my inner circle. You're about to be an apostle of the Lamb. Because he's the alpha and omega, the author and the finisher of our faith. When Jesus is seeing him, I don't, he's not looking at the flaws. It doesn't mean he doesn't see them. He's, he, he's going, just stick to the process and I'll deal with all the flaws. I believe what he's seeing here is the guy who's going to be Nero's persecuting Christians. Peter goes, I'm out. As he's walking out, this historical story, as he walks out, Jesus comes to him and goes, where are you going? He goes, well, I don't know if you heard Jesus. It's bad back there. He goes, where are you going? So he goes back. He's go back. They crucify him. Some places think that while they raped his wife, they crucified him. And, he, and his testimony is this. I don't want to be crucified, my, my Lord. So they're like, fine, we'll crucify you upside down. That's who God saw. Jesus accepted and welcomed his disciples at the moment of invitation. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them and have loved them as you have loved me. How do you... How do you, what's the foundation? You got to get this part right if you really want to fellowship with God. That you, you start out approved from day one. And it's that courage that you get from knowing that you're approved that gives you the courage to stand up and get delivered of all that stuff you come into the kingdom with. Jesus expected transformation of his disciples to take place. Really, really important. Jesus ex expected transformation of the disciples to take place. In the context of walking with Jesus, the flaws in the disciples' value system became apparent. So I used to like be a little, I'm still, I gotta be really careful because I can be my harshest critic. Like, oh, I really blew that. You beat yourself up for me. It used to be a while. And then I came to learn. And it, it's, not, it's not, you're not like, you're not like trying to do the wrong thing. But when you walk with him, you, you come into the kingdom of God with a value system. And so your value system has to be recalibrated. And then he brings you into situations that expose what's wrong with your value system. And you can usually tell by what comes out of your mouth. And I used to go, oh, really blew that one. Oh, I'll definitely never fulfill that prophetic word. Actually, he presented that situation to you so you could fulfill that prophetic word. So you can go, Father, I'm so sorry. 
And what I've learned to do is not just repent for the act, but where is the root of that thought process in my heart that causes me to do that over and over again? So go ahead and take that thing out because I don't want it in there. The disciples were lovingly corrected by, by Jesus. The ability to live a lifestyle of repentance is a key in coming into maturity as a believer. Here's James and John. James and John wanted to sit at Jesus' right hand. They misunderstood the kingdom, and he still kept going, keep walking with me. James and John wanted to call down fire on the village. Not good. They're like, I didn't listen to you. Let's go Old Testament on him. <laughs> and he's like, guys, you, you... wrong wineskin. He's like, actually, you're, you're... he actually tells him, think about this. Don't be offended by this. Some of us need to get delivered from thinking like the devil. He tells two of his disciples, he goes, you're thinking like the devil. You got the wrong... And, and, and Jesus is at the end of his life on earth, and he's going, listen, I'm going away, and I'm going to, you know, this is going to happen. And Peter tries to tell him, no, 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 you got it wrong, Jesus. <laughs> Peter's thinking like political kingdom. And he goes, wrong thinking, demonic thinking. Here's a key, too. You can have correct biblical insight in one area, but it doesn't make you mature in another area. Peter hits it out of the park. He goes, who do men say I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. But who do you say that I am? Oh, you're Christ, the son of the living God. He goes, blessed are you, Simon. For flesh and blood, what's he saying? You have revealed knowledge. Has not revealed this to you, but your Father in heaven. Next story, Jesus is telling him, you're thinking like the devil. <laughs> this is why it is really important to keep a posture of humility. To never think you have the corner on something. Never, don't, don't do this thing. I see this way. Well, we heard that. Maybe you need to hear it again. <laughs> the ability to live a lifestyle of repentance is a key to coming into maturity as a believer. Here's another one. The disciples' ability to follow Jesus rested upon them trusting his character even though they didn't understand everything. You'll read there that after he ascends, they go, oh, we got what he was talking about. But they kept following him. What is that? Faith. It's not blind faith if you know the character of God, though. So what's important? You should know that God is for you. You should know that he's kind towards you. You should know that he's a lot smarter than you. And he can be trusted in everything he tells you. You have to be convinced of that kindness or else you will question it. And, and that, that orphan thing, that 
thing that is so prevalent in the world, it will come up on the inside of you like, and you're thinking, I'll do it my own way. Got to go back to the nature of God because you won't trust a God that you don't know his character. The disciples' ability to follow Jesus rested on the foundation of learning to trust his voice. Got to know that voice. I think Sunday we'll talk more about that. Man shall not live by bread alone. Look, look, look at how he's making that. Though he, if you, I don't know how many days you can go without eating, but you definitely can't go too many days without water. He's saying, he's comparing it to natural things. He's saying, without these natural things, you know you cannot live. And I'm telling you, you cannot live without knowing my voice. Practice his voice. Wake up in the morning. Go, how do you want me to go to work today? Well, that's weird. Welcome to relearning how to think. God, I always do it this way. Yeah, I know, that's why you're struggling. <laughs> or that's why it takes you six hours and I want, want it to take one hour. Oh no, but it's got to be this way. Oh, you get to explore real issues in your mind. Well, why did, the Lord has said that to me. He goes, why does it need to be? I said, well, it just has to be this way. He goes, no, it just has to be this way because you're a perfectionist. Oh. Anything else you'd like to say? When God speaks, the word of God is a two-edged sword. It locates your deficient thinking and presents you with an opportunity to think differently. Two-edged sword cuts both ways. It's going, this is where you're deficient, and this is how I'd like you to think, and it's an opportunity for upgrade. I want to say to you tonight that there are upgrades in the spirit for the people of God like never before. It's amazing, right? I've never seen it. I fly almost every week. I've never seen anyone go, no, I don't want the upgrade. <laughs> no, nah, just leave me in the back by the toilet. <laughs> but so many believers are like, no, nah, I'm good. Okay. There's an aspect about God that he cannot make you hungry for what he wants to give you. Get delivered. What? Well, the Lord want me to have it. I'm going to have it. He knows right where I am. Yeah, he knows right where you are and he wants you to move. <laughs> I've never, again, I've never seen anyone go, hey, we got $1.6 billion. We need you to come pick it up. Well, the Lord want me to have it. I'll just stay right here and they'll bring it to me. <laughs> You know, the Lord has a way of getting it to you. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. It's good to have you here, Katie. Jesus discipled through teaching and demonstration. Teaching, demonstration, and risk. You cannot take your discipleship process outside of the realm of risk. 
and the purpose of God on your life cannot be accomplished without you walking by faith and constantly jumping off that cliff. If you can figure out, like, well, this, you know, I can figure out, I'm going to do this, and, you know, I'm going to retire, and, you know, 10 years, I'm going to do this, and, you know, I got enough money over here. (laughs) And you got it figured out right here. You're probably living way, way below what God intended. He doesn't put mountain-moving faith on the inside of you to go, oh, yeah, we're going to coast now. That is world system thinking. Because when you really walk with the Lord, this is what he does. He does it to the rich young ruler. Comes up to Jesus. He goes, what do I need to do in inherit eternal life? I found this. He will always touch the areas of your heart that have your affections more than him. And he goes, follow all the commandments. And he goes, oh, I've done them since my youth. And this is fascinating to me. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He goes, no, I saw how you looked at that woman at Rite Aid. (laughs) Second look, gotcha. (laughs) And Jesus is absolutely true. He doesn't, and I would suggest to you too, part of the reason he's blessed is because he's following the commandments. But somewhere... The wealth that he was accumulating, he was, somewhere it was, he was putting his trust in that wealth. Well, if, if the economy in Israel falls down, I got this stash over here. And Jesus touches that area of his affections that were connected to this world system. And he goes, okay, sell everything and follow me. Think about that phrase. Every time he asks you to do something, and he will ask you to, like, the the greatest adventure of your life is going, what do you want me to do? It's, It's like, it'll really mess you up in a good way, get you delivered of everything you thought was important. Get odd looks from people who you went to high school with. Well, what are you doing? Anyway. But it's the greatest adventure ever. That's where it gets really fun. And the, the rich young ruler could have been in the Jesus Christ Evangelistic Association, yet it remains unnamed throughout Scripture. He missed that turn. Don't miss that turn. If you miss the turn, just ask God to forgive you. No shame, no blame. Keep on that track. God doesn't do that shame, blame thing. The enemy does. So he loves that religious spirit thing. He want, it, this is not, the, the more I walk with the Lord, the more I'm convinced that it has always been about what he wants to do for you. Your most natural state as a born-again believer is to trust God for everything. It frees you from trying to make it on your own. Here's another one. Jesus expected the disciples to learn from the demonstration of the miraculous. Jesus expected the disciples to learn from the demonstration of the miraculous. What does that mean? 
He would do miracles through them. And you'll notice that when, when he did miracles in Scripture, he always invited his disciples in. He never said, let me just wave the Jesus wand. He multiplies the food, and then he, he tells them, uh, I'm not going to read it just for the sake of time, uh, Luke 6, he multiplies the food. And then he goes, hey, let's go to the other side. Miracles were supposed to change your view of reality. It wasn't just the person got healed of cancer two weeks ago at Covenant Love. It wasn't just the deafness heard. It was every time you saw that, you would see the miraculous intervention of God, and the next time you saw an impossible situation, you would go, but I serve the God who conquered cancer two weeks ago. That's why he said, meditate on the works of God. David said, my testimonies are in front of you. He said, talk about what I've done. Talk about it with your children when you go to bed at night. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. Because he never wanted them to forget. Why? Because it was supposed to shape their consciousness. Don't waste miracles by going, wasn't that nice? Even if it's just a moment. I remember years, I, I don't know why I think of this, but remember years ago, I, I, I was living in Georgia, and it was like a Tuesday, and uh, it was like, okay, rent's due on Monday. Not enough money in the account. I said, God, you're faithful. And within that week, I think from three different sources, more than enough came in. Remember getting a, a letter, a note. He's a pastor now. It's like a little brother to me. He's a college kid. I think he sent me $400 cash. He said, I was praying today, and the Lord put this on my heart, and I just want you to let you know I love you. And I remember when I got that card, I said, I can't just let this be a moment that you've provided. I have to remember that you'll always take care of me. God, you did this in, two, that was, I think, 2006, 2005. You did it. I do it almost all. That's why I keep calendars. and the, God, this is what you did in 2009. This is what you did in 2010. This is what you did in 2011. And this is what you're going to do. The authority for the disciples to move in the supernatural was given to them by Jesus. He gives you the authority, but you have to be a willing participant in letting it flow through you. Your hands were created as hands to be the hands of Jesus in the earth. Your hands were created to lay hands on ears that have never heard sounds before and eyes that have never seen the light of day and bodies that are dead. Your voice was supposed to reshape the world. The creation longs for your voice. The words that God preordained to come out of your mouth were to actually be the voice of God in the earth. Yes. Read this when he sends him out. 
Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your belts nor bag for your journey nor tunics nor sandals nor staff for a worker is worthy of his food. What does he do? He sends them out without anything and tells them you're going to get your provision on the way. Some of your, oh, this is a word for some of you, some of your provision for some of you in this room is attached to you going. And that's why you haven't seen the full abundance because you haven't moved. And if you'll move, God will move on your behalf. Here's the final one. God can be trusted. You can trust God. And the reason I read that, that last part is because this. It's what Jesus says at the end of his life. Luke 22, verse 34. Then he, said, then he said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you may know me. And he said to them, when I sent you without a money bag, a knapsack, I love this, sandals, did you lack anything? Basically, he comes back to them, and they're kind of distraught because they're going, he goes, I'm out. <laughs> I probably would be like him. No, no, it's really good if you'd stay really good, Jesus. No, don't leave. I know we don't understand everything you say, and we'd like you to do some political things, but it's a whole lot better if you stay. And he goes, no, I'm out. He tells him. He reminds him of his faithfulness. Did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. And he said to him, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Landing the plane right here. I've done pretty good. <laughs> Here's some keys to living in the supernatural just to summarize. Number one, evaluate and build your life on the correct worldview. Make a decision. You're going to seek God's kingdom first and don't back down from it. Don't let anyone back you out of it. Don't, don't, don't let any leader, don't let a, any man or woman, to, oh, you, just, you know, you got to calm down, you know, you're, you're in America, and you, you know, got to live logical. The world is dying because the church is living logical. Well, you know, you can't get too fanatical with the miracle stuff and... I hope we actually need to use Paul's admonition to set some order because some things are happening in the church. I'm telling you, the things that God wants to do in our gathered times, we have not even touched the surface of. I'm talking like ideas and inventions God gives people as they encounter him people having encounters and this and that, and your, 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 your uncle, this is for somebody, your uncle who's, who's in a homosexual lifestyle goes, I don't know why I'm here, and as soon as he walks through the door, all the demons come out of him, and he goes, I've been delivered, and this and this and that, and people who've had abortions, and just God doing stuff all over the room, and we have to put order to that. I don't know what happened. But I'm coming back next week. Because it was like a bomb went off in there. Here's a second one. Endeavor to become a theologian of the beauty of the Lord. 
live a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. You know, this is very interesting. I was thinking about this. I interpreted it as a command, but then I actually realized he just asked me. The Lord asked me years ago, he said, would you live a lifestyle of prayer and fasting if I asked you to? I said, I'll do it. And he took me up on it. And here's the thing. It's, it is not in your own strength. I mean, it's, I do plan it, but you got to be directed by the Lord. Like, how many, uh, me, not you. Like, I'm going to fast for the next five days. And like an hour into that day. All you can think about is food. <laughs> Why? Because you can't do it like that. Now you have to practice it. Don't, I'm happy that the church fasts in January, but don't just visit in January. Do it as a lifestyle. Most of the things we, we do in events, God wants us to do as a lifestyle. Like generous Sunday. I'm thinking you should just be generous every Sunday. Bring a friend to church. I think you should bring a friend to church every Sunday. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's I notice, like, how many realize that God doesn't need to change? But Abner needs to change. So what I found is when I set aside certain things, and you know, when, he, when he's talking about fasting, he is talking about food. Just to help you, like, I know it's like a new millennial thing, I think, like, I'm fasting watching Fox News. You don't watch it anyway. <laughs> I mean, if you put something on your heart, you had to stop it, but like, people like, I'm, you know, like, I'm fasting, I know, it's just, anyway, I don't, I don't have a grid for that. But I found my yes got quicker and quicker when I, when I, I put that aside and put, put aside that, you know, because, you know, food tries to control you. And when you put that aside, you're like, no one's going to control me except the voice of God. You know, and he would tell me to do something the day before the fast. I'm like, okay. And then you fast, you're like, I'll do it. <laughs> right now. Because <laughs> you realize how weak you are without him. Live a lifestyle of, of repentance. And the final one, enjoy the journey and let patience have its perfect work. Enjoy where you're at. I'm learning to be better at that. I'm learning to enjoy the different things in my life. I've always been thankful, but I've always been thinking about the next thing. I don't do well with indecisive people. Well, I'm not sure. Make a decision! <laughs> I'm working with my counselor on that. You want to get married? We just met. <laughs> okay. Try someone else. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. This is being streamed. Probably should have cut that stream off. But allow your, give yourself the patience that God gives you. What do I mean by that? If you miss a turn, 
Just ask God to forgive you and move on. Get around friends who will encourage you. Don't get, you know, love everyone, but get people who iron sharp. And you know what? You will attract who you are. You'll attract. If you're hungry for the things of God, you'll find a group of hungry friends to run with. You'll find friends who'll drive six hours with you to a meeting. I'm serious. Anyway, that's kind of far. (laughs) Wise men still travel. If you're hungry, it doesn't matter. And if God told you to do, go just go. But allow yourself patience to change. You're not going to arrive overnight. But know this. God has a wonderfully supernatural life available for you. And it's his will for you to live it, and it's our obligation to the world. Yes. Receive this word tonight. If you receive this word, just lift your hands and give God.